0: Well, for the 11th consecutive year, the WCC regular season co-champion is the Gonzaga Bulldogs, breaking down this huge win over St. Mary's and discussion about how the WCC tournament is going to be seeded. All right here, Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga hoops. All right. Happy Sunday. Happy championship for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. They have defeated St. Mary's at home college game day in the house what an incredible environment we saw on saturday evening in spokane that was an absolute blast to watch i can't imagine what it was like for those of you who were there an incredible experience sean farnham was out there crowd surfing during the game what an environment and the Zags took care of business. Drew Timmy got his 94 feats with Jay Billis uh, during the tenth city. That was fantastic to see uh, the Zags jumped out to a big early lead. We're going to talk about the game, how the Zags were able to mitigate Randy Bennett and the Gales, what the WCC seating is potentially going to look like. We're also going to break down a few more facets of this game and what it could mean for the Zags in March, closing out the show, talking about the WCC player of the year award race and why it is now official There are no other candidates. Drew Timmy should be the WCC player of the year. But first, let's talk about this game. Gonzaga wins 77-68 over the Gales of St. Mary's. They were up 19 in the first half. It was a good old-fashioned beatdown. This St. Mary's team was entirely out of sorts because of Gonzaga's ability to put pressure on this team. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the second segment, but that 1-2-2 zone defense, three-quarter court defense that they put into place really caused a lot of issues for, for Aiden Mahaney, for Logan Johnson, for St. Mary's in general. And Gonzaga did it right up until pretty much the last whistle of the game. They were really consistent about running that zone defense, and it really, really seemed to work in a lot of ways. But as we know, St. Mary's is a good basketball team. They're not just going to go quietly into the night. A 19-point halftime lead. It wasn't, wasn't at halftime, I should say. 19-point lead in the first half, 13-point lead at halftime. There are a lot of teams that crumble. In that situation, there are a lot of teams that that's it. They're done. The crowd is popping. Everybody's screaming and yelling and whooping and hollering and everything that's going down at the McCarthy Athletic Center. And teams don't rebound from that. St. Mary's did. We knew that they would. We knew that there was a good chance that they weren't going to just sit around and take this, and they came all the way back within six in the second half. But – While a lot of people were starting to get flashbacks to a few weeks ago when St. Mary's did this exact same thing, started getting downhill toward the basket with the young guards, mostly Aiden Mahaney, and whittled away, whittled away, whittled away, got the lead, took the lead, and then never relinquished the lead. That's not what happened here. Gonzaga never let them get that close. Never let them get get that close. St. Mary's did not lead in this game. It was a monstrous outstanding performance from the zags and it starts as it almost always does with the big fella down low drew timmy 19.6 boards in 31 minutes in this one a five of five from the free throw line you absolutely love to see that drew timmy has been on a heater from the free throw line the last few weeks that's a huge thing for him to have kind of found his stroke with uh, heading into the NCAA tournament he's going to get fouled a lot he already gets fouled a lot. It's going to continue to happen for him, for him to be able to knock down those free throws. It is, it's is—it's an added bonus. I've mentioned this a handful of times on the podcast before. Drew Timmy drawing contact and getting the free throw line is an objectively good thing, even if he's not converting at the line. And it made a big difference in this game. Mitchell Saxon played 17 minutes. He only had three fouls, but he sat a lot of this game because he was in foul trouble. Drew Timmy also getting five extra points going to the charity stripe, even better timmy only had one assist in this game which is a little low for him but he got the ball and he went to work <laughs> it's just they just they they didn't try a ton of doubles with him they single coverage him with mitchell sax and they single coverage him with kyle Bowen, two of the best defensive players in the country and he went seven for 11 from the field it just did not matter grew timmy is inevitable in so many ways anton watson perhaps his finest all-around game we have said that many, many times this year, which is proof that he's just having a straight-up fantastic season. 17 points in 37 minutes uh, for the senior out of Spokane. Eight rebounds, four steals, three assists, and a block. Once again, continuing to uh, to contribute in every single category offensively and defensively in this game. Seven for 11 from the field, same as Drew Timmy. One of two from deep, also two of three from the free throw line. And because there needs to be one posterization of a St. Mary's player every single year from Gonzaga. Anton Watson said, I will take the mantle there. Uh, Really nice pocket pass from Julian Strother. One bounce. uh, Watson caught it in stride. Took a dribble and hammered it home really 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 nice play from anton watson got that crowd absolutely going last play i want to mention malachi smith coming off the bench 13 points five of six shooting knocked down his only three had five boards two assists and a block as well really really nice performance from him coming off the bench uh so right now as we're recording this here sunday morning the 26th of february a little bonus episode for you all uh st marys is still higher in the net they're going to be the one seed in the WCC tournament, as I understand it, these two teams tied in the regular season, split the series amongst each other, and both lost to LMU. What that means is that they cannot go to any tiebreakers outside of net ranking. The first tiebreaker was who else you lost to. Both teams have the same other loss on their resume, so they go to net rankings. They determined that they're not going to count net rank they're going to count rankings at the end of the WCC season. So Gonzaga's Wednesday game against Chicago State is not going to factor into this net ranking. It's going to factor in the net rankings overall, but it's not going to factor into how they seed the WCC tournament, which makes sense as the WCC tournament starts on Thursday. They're not going to wait till Gonzaga's Wednesday game to seed the tournament when it just doesn't really matter in that regard anyway. So right now, the Gales come in at number seven in the country in the net rankings. The Zags are at nine. We could quibble about who should be higher than that, and certainly an overall quick look at the resumes. I think there's a fair argument there. The Gales are 24 and six overall. The Zags are 24 and five. Uh, the Gales are two and two in quad one wins. Gonzaga is five and four. So more wins and a higher winning percentage. Uh, for the quad two wins, the Gales are six and two. The Zags are five and zero, oh, So the Gales have one more win, but two more losses there. You combine quad one and Quad Two. quad two, the Gales are eight and four. The Zags are 10 and four. Sure seems like 10 and four is a little bit better there. Uh, You look at the quad three and quad four, combine those together. The Gales are 17 and two. The Zags are 14 and one. So the Gales, to reiterate, less quad one wins, less quad one and quad two wins combined more quad three and quad four losses yet they are higher in the net rankings not a whole lot we can do about that, although I think it's fair to uh, at least wrinkle your nose at those those resumes compared side by side and what the net rankings think of them. Uh, I don't know that it matters all that much again the one seed and the two seed in the WCC tournament get a double buy all the way to the semifinals the zags will play. Somebody out of this group of teams, likely Santa Clara, Santa Santa Clara, excuse me, is going to play either BYU, Pacific, or Pepperdine. Pacific and Pepperdine will play each other. The winner of that game will play BYU. The winner of that game will play Santa Clara. The winner of that game will play Gonzaga. So likely the odds are that Gonzaga is going to play Brandon Podzimski and the Broncos of Santa Clara. They're the best team in that group. I think BYU could absolutely... Defeat Santa Clara, make a run, and play in the WCC semifinals. BYU is not a team I particularly want to face in Las Vegas, so it's a little bummer that they're on Gonzaga's side. But uh, between BYU and Santa Clara, Gonzaga still has a pretty good chance of moving on. Uh, the Zag, or excuse me, the Gales on their side, they get LMU, San Francisco, Portland, and San Diego. Again, more than likely, the Gales will end up playing LMU again for the opportunity to win that game and play Gonzaga or Santa Clara or BYU, whoever ends up making it out of Gonzaga's side for the WCC Championship. Certainly setting it up to be another rematch between the Zags and Gales. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you try to set up that kind of matchup? It's must see TV. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper here in the second segment over Gonzaga's win over the Gales, the five key things we listed in that game, whether they came to fruition, why or why not, as well as how some of those strategies we saw Gonzaga implement could help this team as they get into march and the ncaa tournament before we get there though today's episode of locked on zags is brought to you by built bar if you're looking for a delicious treat but you don't want all the fat and calories then you've got to try a built bar we just got through the holidays and i know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year if you're like me where you want to eat healthier but you don't want to compromise taste then i've got just for the thing for you you've got to try built With Built Healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't even think they're good for you. They're perfect for your New Year's resolutions. What makes Built Bars so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box for years. We've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Bilt.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs at your nearest Walmart or Sam's Club today. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. And we want to thank all of you again for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen of the day, check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. It's almost March. Myself, Isaac Shade, the co-host of that podcast, the host of the Locked On Tar Heels podcast, we're bringing you everything you need to know about college hoops, tournament You know, preseason tournament stuff, NCAA tournament stuff, all sorts of good stuff coming your way. You can hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players, locked on college basketball. It's available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, one of the nice things about doing a bonus episode this week, besides getting you guys some content, some conversation around this team 24 hours earlier than you might have gotten it otherwise, is that we get to actually look back at the five keys to the game. Often We spend a segment on Friday previewing that Saturday's game. And because Monday episodes are mailbag, we don't actually get to kind of look back through those keys and see, Hey, were those things impactful parts of the game? We get to do that. We get to do that here on the special Sunday episode of locked on zag. So we're going to take a look at my five keys heading into the game against the Gales on, uh, on Saturday and kind of whether those things came together. And it's interesting because a few of these things were monumentally important. And some of them, didn't really end up making a big difference. We'll start here. Key number one was let Julian cook. Well, Julian played 40 minutes in this game. Of course, coming into the game, he was on an absolute hot streak, starting with that 40-point performance against Portland. He's had a couple 30-point games since then. Really been on an absolute tear. And he wasn't his best offensively in this game, quite honestly. 2 of 10 shooting, 0 of 4 from deep, 11 points. The reason he got 11 points is because he went 7 of 8 from the free throw line, which was really, really important for Gonzaga just to, in general, their free-throw shooting was fantastic in this game, and they needed every single one of them. Uh, so I don't think that this was a particularly bad game from Julian. He just didn't have it. His shot wasn't really there. He also added five rebounds, three assists, and two steals. The biggest thing that Julian did, though, the Zags were running a 1-2-2 court, three-quarter court pressure defense. The one... In this situation, was Julian Strother. That's the spot that he was playing. He was playing the one, and then the other two guards who were on the floor either Malachi Smith, Rissier Bolton, Nolan Hickman, Hunter South, whoever it was, uh, two of those guys were kind of playing the, the back two or the middle two spots. And then Drew Timmy and Anton Watson were playing kind of at the very back, and they were running these traps, trying to trap, guy, trap guys right as they crossed half court so they didn't have the ability to throw the ball backwards. Julian was really critical in this role. Like I said, he had a pair of steals, he had a lot of deflections, he got his hands on a lot of balls, and really just made life really, really difficult for Aiden Mahaney and Logan Johnson. Wasn't a great performance from him offensively, uh, but he was a really, really, big, I mean, he played all 40 minutes, and there's a reason for that. They really, really needed him and what he was able to contribute, and seeing him contribute to this team positively uh, and significantly without having his outside shot, or really his offense in general, is a really big sign, a really positive sign for this team going forward. Number two key uh, against the Gales in this game was defending the perimeter. Again, another one that wasn't exactly Gonzaga's strength in this one. Uh, the Gale shot 8 of 18 from deep. That's pretty good. Uh, it wasn't exactly an issue for them. Uh, Kyle Bowen was one of six uh, because Kyle Bowen's not a very good offensive player, and yet he still took six three-pointers in this game. I think Gonzaga's pretty happy uh, with Kyle Bowen missing five threes, That's threes. You'll take that most of the time. The problem is the rest of the team was 7 of 12, So you don't love that. Kyle Bowen missing five threes. The whole rest of the team combined only missing five threes. That's a bit more of an issue. Team didn't, St. Mary's didn't shoot well around the rim. They're only 50% on two-pointers. Aiden Mahaney in particular was one of six on two-point shots. He knocked down a couple of threes, but one of six inside the arc. So Gonzaga's perimeter defense, their three-point shooting defense, wasn't fantastic in this game. But I'll admit St. Mary's also didn't take a huge advantage of this necessarily either. The next key, and this was the big one. There's two really big ones here number three is a number four pressure defense on the guards. This was the biggest key in this game, hands down. We have been lamenting this for quite frankly years. Gonzaga needs to find a way to run a different defense that forces St. Mary's op- offensively to be out of their comfort zone. Mark View did this. I don't know if he listened. I don't know if somebody in his ear uh, on, on the bench kind of said, Hey, maybe we should try something a little bit different. But for years we have seen Gonzaga play a bit more passive defensively and let Randy Bennett's team dictate the pace, run the style of offense that they want to run. They did not do this on Saturday night. They put pressure on Gonzaga or on St. Mary's immediately forced them to make multiple passes, pass over defenders, uh, all of that stuff. And, and and look, they got a lot of turnovers out of it, but even on the possessions they didn't, the amount of times that St. Mary's actually took advantage and got an easy score because of the pressure was very few. And that to me was pretty surprising. I know that Randy Bennett and St. Mary's want to run their slow, methodical plotting offense. I understand that that's what they want to do. But when you are facing that kind of pressure, if you can get past the pressure, you have to go straight to the basket. You have to, because otherwise... You're not going to get the team out of the defense. If two times in a row, if two times in a row, St. Mary's threw over the top of the pressure, forced Drew Timmy and Anton Watson to come up to play some pressure defense, and then got an easy lay in around the rim, managed to get a pass all the way down to Mitchell Saxon or Henry Wessels or Joshua Jefferson or whoever it was down around the rim. If they had been able to do that twice in a row, I almost guarantee you Mark Few pulls off, the, off the, the pressure. I almost guarantee it but they didn't do that. They did it a few times, periodically sprinkled throughout the game. But most of the time, if they did beat the pressure, Gonzaga got back, set up their man defense, and then just had to play it for 18 seconds instead of 28 seconds because they had put that pressure on earlier. It worked 100% in Gonzaga's favor, and Randy Bennett and the Gales could not figure out how to change it up. They could not figure out how to get Gonzaga out of it, and and it, it led to a victory. And quite honestly, it was a huge, huge part of what Gonzaga did to win this game. I don't know if we will see Gonzaga implement that defensive strategy in the tournament. It will depend on matchups, but there are absolutely teams out there that are going to play slow, that are going to, you know, try to to exploit Gonzaga's poor pick and roll defense and and kind of come up the court and and, and take out take away transition opportunities for the Zags. And in those games, putting this 1-2-2 two, two zone in place Putting pressure, trapping at half court, trying to force the other team to make mistakes and make turnovers feels like a really good strategy that I'm hopeful Mark Few and the staff are willing to implement now that we've seen it work for a full 40 minutes against a very, very good team in St. Mary's. Key number four, another one that was really, really important in this game, trying to get Mitchell Saxon and Kyle Bowen in foul trouble. Mission accomplished. The Zags did this, and it worked, and it was really, really important part of the game. Saxon only had three fouls, but he only played 17 minutes. That's it. This is a guy who's, who's expected to get votes for defensive player of the year in the WCC. He played 17 minutes. He committed his third foul within the first two minutes of the second half and had to go to the bench. That was huge. Kyle Bowen fouled out of this game. Now, he fouled out in 35 minutes, so he played the majority of the game, but he played a huge chunk of this game in foul trouble. And that is a big part of it, too. You don't just want to talk about getting a player fouled out of a game. Making them play with foul trouble is huge. Kyle is the best defensive player on this team. He's probably the WCC player of the year, defensive player of the year. It's going to be between him and Anton Watson. It's going to be close. It's going to be close between those two guys. But for Kyle Bowen to have to play a huge chunks of this game in foul trouble, it showed. He had to be less aggressive. He couldn't do some of the stuff that he likes to do. And it was a huge advantage for Gonzaga, down low, around the perimeter, every single way. Henry Wessler was same area's as his backup big. He played five minutes in this game, and he wasn't very good. <laughs> he missed a couple of bunnies around the rim. He had one nice reverse lay-in, but he he didn't look great. Joshua Jefferson, their other freshman, he played pretty well. Nine points, three of four shooting in 23 minutes. He looks solid, he's going to be a big piece for this team uh, in the next couple of years. But their depth is questionable, and for Gonzaga to force them to play some of those guys more minutes than they were probably wanting to play them, that made a difference in this game, a big one. Key number five, this one didn't really come to fruition in this one. Big ben Greg game. I was hoping we would see baby Ben step out and and do kind of what we saw him do against San Diego, maybe hit some outside shots, grab some offensive rebounds, uh, force St. Mary's defenders to come away from the rim because of his outside shooting. Just wasn't wasn't a factor. He didn't have a particularly bad game. He only played six minutes. That's it. Anton Watson played 37 minutes. Drew Timmy played 31 minutes. The Zags were willing to go small with Anton Watson at the five, Julian Strother at the four. We hadn't seen much of that this year, despite it being a, a popular talking point before the season. So it just meant that Ben didn't really play. Zero points in six minutes. He, again, he was fine. He didn't really make any mistakes. They just they decided to rely on Timmy and Watson. I, and I understand why. I, I think that's fine. Uh, Hunter Salas only played 11 minutes. He had five points on perfect shooting, though. Not a bad performance from Hunter Salas. There are not a lot of bad performances from Hunter Salas. That's pretty rare to see from him. Uh, had a, a, a couple fouls that were a bit questionable, but... You know, that is what it is. But for Gonzaga, the, the, the bench, there's only one impactful bench player. And we talked about him already. It's Malachi Smith. He was fantastic in this game. Really, really nice performance from him. Ben Gregg, Hunter Salas, neither of them played poorly. They just only played a combined 17 minutes. So it just wasn't a big factor for them in this one. All right, we're closing up the show discussing the WCC Player of the Year Award, which just got, it got locked up. Drew Timmy locked this thing up. This award is going to him. We're going to talk about why coming up right after this. All right, segment three, facility patents still locked on Zags. Talk to WCC Player of the Year. The conference season is over. And we did an episode earlier this week, or earlier last week, I believe it was, predicting the awards. Who's going to win the Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Newcomer of the Year, who's going to be on the All-WCC First Team. And we're going to do it again before we get the award nominees. If we get an opportunity to do so, I would like to talk about this, kind of make some projections, or at least react to the awards as they come out. But the big one is Player of the Year. And it's Drew Timmy's award. I don't know that there is a – you can't really make an argument otherwise anymore. You just can't. There's three other players that have been in this conversation. And Tuck Clary wrote up a really nice article, at The Slipper Still Fits. It was his, his 10 observations from the St. Mary's game. Those are always worth reading if you don't read them. It's either him or Keith or many other people who write them uh, at the Slipper. But fantastic content. And reading Tuck's article, he talked about how – Basically, it's, I think the way, the, phrase, the way he phrased it was people trying to look for somebody else to win WCC Player of the Year. They're just being cute. You're just you're trying to find somebody else who you think deserves this award over Drew Timmy, and you're trying to force it. And at this point, I just don't think you can force it anymore. I just don't think there's a compelling enough argument for anybody else. Drew Timmy's 21.2 points per game is tied for first in the conference along the— with LMU point guard Cam Shelton. Drew Timmy's 7.5 rebounds is fourth in the conference. Drew Timmy's 3.2 assists is ninth. Drew Timmy is top 10 in the WCC in points, rebounds, and assists. He's top five in points and rebounds, and he is first in points per game. Field goal percentage, 61.6. That is, you guessed it, first in the WCC. His effective field goal percentage of 61.9, that's also first. Drew Timmy did all of this, his field goal percentage, his points, his rebounds, all of that. With a 29.9% usage rate, you guessed it, that is first in the WCC as well. So he's the most used player. He has the highest field goal percentage. He has the highest effective field goal percentage. He scores the most points per game. He grabs the fourth most rebounds per game. He's a better point guard than, or a better distributor, a better assist player than most or a lot of the guards in the entire WCC. And he's on a team that finished with the best record in the conference, tied with St. Mary's, yes, but the best record in the WCC. Regular season champion, points leader, top rebounder, highest field goal percentage. It is hard to find a way to argue against that. We'll try with the three other candidates who have been kind of mentioned as potential award winners here. Cam Shelton, already talked about him. Yeah, tied for first in the, com- in the conference in scoring. That is fantastic. For a team that beat BYU, St. Mary's, and Gonzaga this year, we've talked about this on this podcast, but just in case you missed it, that's never happened before. This is the only time it's ever going to happen because BYU is moving out the door to the Big 12. Only team to ever beat all three of those programs in the same year is the 2022 2023 LMU Lions, led by point guard Cam Shelton. 21.2 points per game. His 4.2 assists per game is third. His effective field goal percentage is sixth. Not bad. 54.9. Not bad at all. He's third in win shares. He's second in offensive win shares. Uh, Timmy is first in offensive win shares. So Shelton's right behind him. Uh, Brandon Podzimski, who we'll talk about momentarily, is first in overall win shares. So Cam Shelton, absolutely in the conversation for one of the best players in the WCC. Does any of that convince you that he's overdrew Timmy? Worst team, worst field goal percentage, barely more assists despite playing the point guard position, tied for the same number of scoring. I'm not sure I see the case there. I'm not sure I see the case there. Brandon Podzimski is next. And his case is, is is a little bit weaker, quite honestly. I think there's a, a very strong case for Brandon Podzimski to be the second best NBA draft prospect in the WCC. Doesn't necessarily get you any awards, although he's going to be a first teamer, certainly. Same with Maxwell Lewis, who is the number one draft prospect in the WCC. You could make an argument Podzimski's second and Strother's third. I think it's very close between those two guys. But Podzimski 19.9 points per game. That's third behind Drew Timmy and Cam Shelton, as you'd imagine. 8.8 rebounds, that's first. Now that's first because they're not counting Eric Williams at San Diego because he hasn't played enough games, but he's averaging like nine and a half rebounds per game. Semantics, doesn't really matter. Podzimski, top five scorer, third. Top five rebounder, first. Sixth in the conference in assists at 3.4 per game. His 57.6 effective field goal percentage is fourth. And in win shares, he's first. Fantastic case right there for Brandon Podzimski. His team... They did finish third. That's solid. Third place team, third and most of, you know, third or lower in most of the important categories. All WCC first teamer, absolutely. Would he be an all WCC first teamer if the team shrank from ten to five? Absolutely. Is he going to win the WCC Player of the Year? Nope. He shouldn't. At least shouldn't win it over Cam Shelton. Should not win it over Drew Timmy. And then the final candidate who I think hurt his chances on Saturday evening in Spokane, and that's Aiden Mahaney. Quite honestly, I'm not sure I ever saw the case for Aiden Mahaney. I know that there's a very surface level case. The surface level case was he's the point guard on the team that's in first place in the WCC. That was the case. Now he's the point guard on the team that's tied for first in the WCC, which is still a pretty solid case. But that's kind of it. He's not top 10 in scoring. He's not top 10 in assists. He's not top 10 in rebounds in any of them. Not being top 10 in assists, I know he's not much of a distributor, but he's averaging two assists per game. Drew Timmy is averaging more than one assist per game more than Aiden Mahaney. That's a that's a noteworthy stat, I would imagine. Again, that's not necessarily what Mahaney's being asked to do. So I understand that. And also, St. Mary scores way, way less points. So him being 14 and a half points per game is still very good. And it's just outside the top 10 in the WCC. But Again, how many points you score matters. And even if you're on an offense that doesn't score as many points, it still matters. His effective field goal percentage, 53.1, is ninth in the conference. So he is an efficient scorer, but again, not the most efficient scorer, not more efficient than any of the three guys we've already discussed. Uh, he's shooting 41% from deep. That's fantastic. And he's won some games. Turnaround jumper against BYU was a game winner. He won the game for Gonzaga or for St. Mary's against Gonzaga in Moraga. He did it. Anybody who watched that game, there's not any debate. Aiden Mahaney won the game for the Gales. That is a, a certifiable fact that that's what happened. Is that enough for you to win WCC player of the year? No, not when you didn't do it a second time. If he'd done it a second time, which man, I know a lot of you thought he was going to. I did too. I, yeah, I did too. It felt like it. It felt like that's the direction we were going when he hit those two threes. And then he had that one left-handed lane and was like, oh boy, we're doing it again. But, but, then, but then it didn't happen. The Zags stepped up. They played better defense. That 1-2-2 zone kind of kept him out of his comfort zone, and they won. And they won because Drew Timmy had a really good game, and Aiden Mahaney had an okay game. That's kind of it. To me, this is Drew Timmy's award. I don't know that this is going to shock anybody, that that's the direction that we're leaning, but because there was so much conversation this season about, oh, it's Drew Timmy or Brandon Podzimski, or it's Drew Timmy or Cam Shelton, or hey, what about Aiden Mahaney? Maybe he deserves to be in the conversation. We can have that conversation. We just did. We just did. I'm happy to have the conversation. But at the end of the day, you're not changing my mind. And after this, I'm not sure anybody's mind should be in any different direction than, than Drew Timmy winning this award. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Happy bonus episode on Sunday. Guess what? Mailback Monday still happening. Still happening. We're still going to do it. So if you're listening to this on Sunday... And there is not an episode coming out on Monday yet. Shoot me a question. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Andy Patton CBB. You can find me on email, andypatton 013 at gmail.com. Get me those questions. Love to get them out ahead of time on Monday morning for that fantastic show. And that's going to do it for us today. So Zags fans revel in the victory. Enjoy a Farnham flatbread. If you have not had one yet, enjoy fantastic imagery of Sean Farnham floating through the kennel. Folks going crazy at 6 in the morning. It was a beautiful, beautiful sight to behold. I cannot wait. Uh, We got one more week till Vegas. If you're going there, let me know. I'll be there Sunday through Tuesday. Very, very excited to get a chance to watch the Zags in person at the New Orleans Arena. So check it out and go Zags.